Just a reminder that this podcast does not provide medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This content is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified medical provider if you have any questions concerning a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based upon this information or anything on this podcast. The content presented on this podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tuning In From Within. Today, we are featuring Navjeet King Zen, aka The King, or King, <laughs> for short, who is not only my partner for this podcast, but is also a great friend, who will be discussing the topic of work-life balance. So King is an independent consultant, the managing director of Biointegrative Health, and the executive director for the Universal Society of Hinduism. King is passionate about using capital as a tool for social justice issues that are surrounding food and finance, such as inclusion, sovereignty, equity, sustainability, waste, and access, which are especially close to his heart. He has run small businesses, worked in venture capital, and consults with companies to do well by doing good. Currently, he is working towards creating an investment fund, which invests in entrepreneurs that are focused on creating businesses targeted at improving lives for the bottom four billion. Welcome, King. I feel like I ran out of breath reading all the different experiences. Thank you, Kara. Thank you for having me. I hope I can live up to the hype. <laughs> you definitely can, and I know you can. But thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Of course. And I've said this before, but I have to say it again. You are a jack of all trades. Master of none. <laughs> <laughs> and always adding humor in there, too. You're right. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because you do have your hands dipped into a lot of different projects. Um, but I'm curious right now, what are the current things that you're focusing on at this time? At this time, I'm focusing on this podcast. That's <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> that was very in the moment. Thank you for that. Trying to be. <laughs> that is the only way that I've found that I can sustain any amount of energy is mm -hmm. if I try to focus specifically on the moment. But to your larger point, the projects that I'm working on right now. One that's closest to my heart is getting the investment fund off the ground. My goal is to find ways to invest in the bottom $4 billion. When you start thinking about economic inequality and you start thinking about wealth and financial distribution across the world, there are around 4 billion people on the planet that live on less than $3,000 a year. And we can go even further down and look at the bottom billion, and bottom two billion that are living on maybe less than $5 a day, even less than $2 a day. The, that's the threshold for extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. But just the bottom four billion is living on less than $3,000 a year. That has many implications. We can think about it morally. We can think about it from a humanitarian perspective. We can think about it many different ways. But one of the ways that the bottom four billion often get overlooked is just economically. That's a huge economic force there. There's 4 billion people that are interested in participating in the world as a whole. Mm -hmm. They are interested in having choices, just like the top 4 billion people, which you and I are a part of. But the way that the economy is structured right now, the way that the world is structured right now, and the way that we think about the bottom 4 billion is this idea of the other. They are people that should be pitied. They are people that should be 
taken care of. They are people that charity should be given to. Mm. And my argument is a little bit different. My argument is that these people are just like everyone else. They deserve the dignity. They deserve choice. They deserve to have opportunities. I'm not saying that we have to redistribute wealth. All I'm saying is that we have a responsibility to the world as a whole. And that means the planet, that means every single citizen on this planet. And it is our responsibility as people who are in the top 4 billion to make sure that we use our resources to make economic opportunities available to the bottom 4 billion. So Mm -hmm. the fund that I'm trying to create is focused specifically on that, supporting entrepreneurs and businesses that are making choice available, providing dignity by giving people a choice at the bottom 4 billion. The idea is to support the businesses financially. And just like any other venture capital firm would support a tech business in the Bay Area, the idea of this fund is to support businesses in a similar manner so that they can then go on and not only boost the local economy, but also maybe do something to work on some of these systemic problems like hunger, financial injustice, mm-hmm. pollution, and what have you. So it's a very long answer to your very short question <laughs> on what I'm working on right now. That is the project that is the closest to my heart. Mm-hmm. But that is is still in development and at least a year or two out as far as execution goes. But it's something that I'm consistently working on. In addition to that, I also am working at the Biointegrative Health Center, helping that business thrive and uh, In addition to that, just doing some other projects on the side for personal gratification or to keep the revenue flowing. So even longer answer (laughs) to your very short question. (laughs) I mean, you explained it beautifully because I think for the lay person that hears investment fund and hears the different jargon with that, they may not understand what you were talking about or referring to. And it's so interesting too, because I really think that this idea just captures the fact that we are all connected. Mm -hmm. which isn't really the message that is spread to Western cultures, I would say specifically the United States, because it is such an individualized system and it's all about what you can do for yourself and how you can make it in this world. So I'm curious, growing up within this culture too, how did you come up with this idea? I don't know if there's one answer to that, Mm -hmm. but I think I could probably give you two answers to that. And (laughs) the two answers are my mom and my dad. Mm because they are very civically minded. They're very socially focused people. My dad, since he retired, has been focused on working on humanitarian causes. And I I tell him this often, and I tell all of my friends whenever my dad comes up in the conversation, which is far more frequently than you would anticipate, (laughs) that uh, he's busier now in his post-retirement life than he was ever before he retired. Mm. And he's enjoying every single moment of his retired life because his focus has always been finding ways to not just take from the world, but finding ways to give so that at the end of it all, in the total sum of our lives, we have given more than we've taken. Mm -hmm. And this idea is just so imbued in the way that my mom and dad function every single day and how they raise my sister and I, that it's a vein that both my sister and I picked up on when we were very young. And tried to apply it to our own lives so that when we look at the world and we see how to move about in this world, that is probably the first filter. That is how we see the world. It's not just about us, that we operate in this environment, in this ecosystem that has enabled us to exist. It's from something as basic as 
we wouldn't be able to get from point A to point B without some outside entity creating the roads for us. I wouldn't be able to get into my car unless someone else made that car and someone else shipped that car. Even in very simple economic terms, we wouldn't be able to exist if it wasn't for a whole host of people around us. And even if you were to just narrow it down to just very simple economic terms, we found it very hard to see the world in a singular perspective where our benefit outweighs everyone else's. So this is just the perspective that we have. And that's uh, all thanks to the two answers, my mom and my dad. These core values were instilled into you and your sister at a very young age. Definitely. I'm not even sure if it was a conscious decision by them. It's just how they operate. So we emulated them. Mm-hmm. I am a product of my surroundings. <laughs> product, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. I mean, I love the whole idea surrounding it too. And as much as we want to believe that we do things on our own, you're right. I mean, we don't. Right. There is always someone else or something else that has helped us to achieve that. No one goes at it alone as much as some people want to. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that when we start to think that we are the initiator, we are the person responsible, that everything is dependent on the singular, that's, I think, the moment that we start to throw life out of balance. Mm -hmm. Because yes, that is true to a certain degree, because a lot of initiative has to be taken by us. A lot of thought has to be given by us and a lot of just internal drive comes into the things that the singular ends up achieving. We wouldn't be able to achieve any of those things without people around us. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So diving into the topic of work-life balance, because again, you are doing a lot of things at once, although that is your main focus right now. You know, I know you, you have a very busy schedule. Mm. How would you define work-life balance? I've always had a problem with the phrase work-life balance, mm-hmm. and I've always had a problematic relationship with the idea of work-life balance. First of all, the problem that I have with it is that it, it sets up this binary construct. Either you have work or you have life. Mm-hmm. Then the other problem that I have with the phrase work-life balance is that work comes first, then life comes second, even in the phrase. Mm. So those are the two major problems that I have with this idea of work-life balance. and. Although I understand the intention that the phrase is trying to describe, but to me, it gets it wrong right off the bat. And I I don't know if there's a fix to that because work in our culture and where we are as a society is so fetishized in so many different ways that we take all these metrics around work and and define our lives by it. For example, like you mentioned that like I have a pretty hectic schedule. And when people look at schedules, the number of meetings that you have or how busy you seem to be or the number of hours that you put into work ends up defining mm-hmm. how good of a worker you are or how productive of a citizen you are in society. Yeah. And that may be true for some people, but I think it is a misnomer to think that that idea or those ideas define productivity and what it means to be a productive citizen in the world for everyone. There's a lot of people that would define work in a different way, where a day spent thinking about something, an idea or brainstorming or developing something may be far more meaningful than those same 10 hours spent on email or working on Instagram or what have you for that individual being. Mm -hmm. So those are just the basic issues that I have with the phrase and the meaning behind it. 
But getting back to what you were asking, how do I look at this idea of work-life balance? How do I maintain any sort of balance in my life? And I approach it almost in a opposite way. I try to look at my life and see what type of a role work can play in it. Mm -hmm. So life-work balance may be a better phrase, but still doesn't capture. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, life-work balance may be a different way to look at it, but I'm not sure if it's the right way to look at it because I'm looking at my life every single day. And if I put work first, then I'm ignoring everything else in my life. And I've, I've fallen victim to that many, many, many times in my life. And it's only over time that I realized that there's a different path or I need to look at things a different way. So if I'm looking at my life and placing work first, then I'm not taking care of my health. And if I'm not taking care of my health, then I'm not being as productive as I want to be. And if I'm not being as productive as I want to be, then I'm being hard on myself and I'm beating myself up for not accomplishing this this abstract metric of what work should be and what my accomplishments should be. And if if I'm not meeting those metrics, then I'm pushing myself harder to work because I'm still not feeling satisfied from the effort that I've put in. Mm. If I flip the paradigm and approach it a different way where I look at life first and take the time to invest into my health as in the food that I'm going to eat, the exercise that I'm going to do, the meditation that I need to do, then that helps me put into perspective what I can accomplish with the rest of my day. And then it helps me put into perspective what meaning work will have in my life for that day. And it's maybe not a an intuitive thing to think about, but the moment that I make things that make life a priority first, then work tends to automatically come into balance. Mm. Oh, I love For me. your formula. Yes. <laughs> it's really a way of reframing it because, you know, words do matter and how they are presented to people is going to have some kind of impact on them, whether it's subconscious or not. And so even changing it to life work, if that's what you're thinking in terms of balance or creating healthy boundaries in your life to where work is the secondary thing, it is not solely who you are and what defines you. Because then it is that self-fulfilling prophecy that just keeps continuing to happen, keep perpetuating that. I like that. Right. Well, thank you. (laughs) It's something that I've had to work hard to get to as far as understanding, because I can't tell you how many times during my life I've burned the candle at both ends Mm -hmm. and reached a point of exhaustion. And maybe I could have learned this lesson a different way, but for me, I had to arrive at this through trial and error. I'm I'm not 100% there. It's going to be a journey every single day till the day that I die. But I'm getting to the point where I'm accepting the fact that prioritizing my life before work is okay. And internally, I'm starting to accept that because all the things that I've done in my life have been because I have prioritized work first. And I've tended to take on more and more and more because I've thoroughly enjoyed the work that I do. And I'm super engaged in the work that I do because I find the the work that I've done to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. But even with meaningful work, when you're prioritizing work first, it becomes a race for a metric rather than a race for meaning, at least for me. And the moment that I flipped the paradigm and focused on life first, it made the work and every single day of the work and every hour work that I do, no matter if it's grunt work that day or even sending out emails, you know, six hours Mm -hmm. straight, 
it becomes more meaningful because life has been prioritized that day mm-hmm. for me. I so. mean, it really, I hear just a different level of awareness that you have attained throughout mm-hmm. the years. And I'm curious if you can remember back to the moment where the light switch really flipped for you on this idea. Hmm. That's a very interesting question because I would like to say that there was a single mm-hmm. moment, but for me, maybe it was a light switch that kind of flickered a little bit because <laughs> the lights went on, but uh, the action didn't follow mm-hmm. that light switch. So if that makes any sense, I, th- there was a realization moment, but it still took like two years before I said to myself, oh, maybe I should think about that <laughs> and actually put that into action. <laughs> that journey that you were referring to previously. Exactly. It's a process and it's a, a journey. And for me, I think there was a specific moment in school. So I followed a non-traditional path as far as my education is concerned. And I got my bachelor's degree quite a few years after I had graduated from high school. And going back to school at a, a little bit of an older age, there was some perspective that I had as far as what education meant and how I wanted to spend my time and what I wanted to learn. But then at the same time, my metric-driven self it was super excited because grades and everything else was tangible, something achievable. And when I went back to school, instead of just focusing on one degree, I decided to take two degrees. And in addition to attaining two degrees, I was working part-time and mm-hmm. I was in the student body and uh, student government. And on top of that, I had started at least a couple of clubs that I was running. and. In addition to that, I think I had picked up an internship on the side. So I was doing this all concurrently because the metrics were so important to me, because work was how I wanted to define my life. And with the 168 hours that everyone has in a week, I was trying to maximize every single moment, even to the point where when I'm driving from place to place, instead of taking that time to decompress, I would be trying to stick in a podcast about some financial thing or listening to an entrepreneur or what have you. That's the natural tendency that I have. I want to work at that level. It was somewhere about halfway through school, or I think I was about to graduate, is when all of these things started to take their toll, where I realized that burning the candle at uh, both ends wasn't working for me, where I wasn't in the 168 hours that we have, I wasn't even sleeping the 56 hours that I should have. Maybe I was sleeping half of that. And that's not sustainable in the long run. And uh, I think somewhere maybe during Thanksgiving break or spring break, so that midpoint that you know people have during the semester, I started to notice that although every single thing that I was engaged with was still meaningful to me, mm-hmm. my productivity level was low. The moment that I accomplished something, the, the next goal appeared. And living from accomplishment to accomplishment and living from metric to metric, was not satisfying my soul anymore. I was doing things, accomplishing things, but I just, Mm -hmm. it was not sustainable. So that was when the light switch, as you mentioned, got turned on. But it still took another maybe year or so (laughs) before I implemented any of these learnings that I had. Mm -hmm. That most definitely is the clearest light switch that I have in my mind. And since then, I've just slowly been trying to incorporate this idea of life-work balance into my life, putting life first. I think what has dawned on me, and when I say it out loud, it's going to sound simple, 
but what dawned on me is that if I don't have the life, if I am not living, I can't do anything. I can't make any difference in the world. And if what's important to me at the end of my life is to have left the world a slightly better place than when I came into it, mm-hmm. I can only do that if I prioritize life first. Beautifully. I mean, we have to have- you have to take care of yourself before you can really start to invest in all these other things. Because like you said, you were missing out on sleep. I mean, you were kind of punishing your body in the process, but you didn't do it intentionally. But that idea, again, going back to the life work balance and creating those healthy boundaries to, to be able to achieve those things that you want to, it's just super, it's really crucial. Definitely. As I mentioned earlier, this is a continual process and Life is not linear, but it's iterative. And every single day, there's going to be maybe two steps forward. And maybe the day after, it'll be one step back. But as long as the trajectory is headed in the right direction, I personally feel happier about that and more accomplished about that. Definitely. Gosh, that takes a lot of practice and awareness. Because I think about even when you mention all the things that you were doing, my initial thought is, wow, that's incredible. You were doing all those things. And so I think that... Society, we do this unintentionally, I think. We celebrate that people are so busy and we applaud you for being so busy. But when someone is saying that, oh yeah, like, you know, I'll work my regular 40 hour week, but I really am focusing on taking care of myself. Yes, we see that. But if you're the the mom that's working 60 hours, she has three kids, like she's doing all these other things. I think that gets more praise. Not to say that one is better than the other, but I just think, again, it's it's how we continue to perpetuate that being busy is a measurement to success and to, again, like how successful you are as a person. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think a part of that is because we, as a society, we have a very reductionist view on how we look at things. Mm -hmm. And data is easier to comprehend, but data in its inherent nature is very reductionist. So when you're looking at a person and an individual, we're inherently trying to find one or two specific things that we can either judge that person on or we can figure out if that person's going to be a good fit at workplace or as a friend or even for a conversation. We don't have the capacity to look at the whole human being. So when we see someone, like you said, who's working 60 hours a week, raising three kids, and maybe has a business on the side, those are tangible things that we can understand because they're all metrics-based. But then the moment that we get into this gray area of how an individual holistically operates, it becomes incomprehensible because we have to judge individuals as individuals, which is an incredibly hard task to do. So we fall back on basic things that we can easily measure. And that reductionism in how we approach life and how we look at people is what leads us to praise people who work 17 hours a day or people who are making a million dollars a minute Rather than look at someone who is maybe leading a more holistic life and being of benefit to the people around them and uh, help their society. It's, it's almost reframing, like you said, that reductionist mindset to something that's greater than us. It's that the other perspective. Because when we get into judging that person, like, oh my gosh, they do all these things. Then it kind of inherently comes into comparing. Right. I'm not doing enough or, you know, I'm not adequate because I'm not working 60 hours and doing all these things like that person is doing. Right. So 
jumping back into life work balance, <laughs> curious, and I think other people would be too about, you know, what strategies have you started to implement over the years to really maintain that and prioritize life and then work? At the end of the day, uh, the strategies are not as important because they're not as universally applicable, but the intentionality behind your actions is far more important. Mm -hmm. So the strategies that I've applied to my life that I know that have notably moved the needle for me are things such as no screens on Sunday. So I make it a make a conscious effort to put my phone away and turn it off on Sundays. And that is a strategy that works for me. But that's a strategy that works for me because I have a proclivity to be addicted to my screen. I'm texting, I'm calling, I'm looking something up online or what have you. And I end up using my phone for maybe two, three, four, five hours a day. And if it's not that screen, then I'm on my laptop. And if I'm not on my laptop, on my, my desktop. And if I'm not on my desktop, then on my on my TV, or what have you. That That's something that I struggle with. So for me, just being mindful about this idea and just looking at my life and looking at my tendencies and trying to do something to counteract those tendencies is what's important. And one of the things that I struggle with is the screen. Even though I have not been 100% successful since I implemented that in my life, I've faltered and I've fallen off the wagon many a times. Yeah. But again, the trajectory has been what's important. And just creating that space to be without my screen and just being able to focus on myself has been what's most important. And just like I know I struggle with my email. I get inundated with emails if, if I don't stay on top of it. For example, over the weekend, if I don't check my emails, I typically have two to 300 emails and at least 50 of those need a response. Oh. And it, it takes mindful effort to not feel overwhelmed at that point. Mm -hmm. And for me, I have limited checking my email to twice to three times a day. And it's something that I struggled with and people initially were unhappy that I was not responding as often as before, or they weren't getting, uh, things were moving a little bit slower than they than they had been in the past. But because it was important to me, I started to create that space in my life. And eventually people understood, the people that I was corresponding with every day understood that if they needed me, they could reach me by phone for immediate answers. But if they didn't need me and it wasn't as urgent, then toss in the email and I would get to it when I could. So looking at my life and looking at the things that I struggle with and looking at the time sinks in my life, creating that space has been what's most important. And in that same vein, I knew social media was something that I struggled with a lot. All these platforms I've been on and I know that how they affect me. So I've had to create the space in my life and say, no social media. And Initially, that was horrendous, and it was hard not to figure out what was happening or not to have a feed that I was looking at while waiting for coffee or what have you. But eventually, being thoughtful about these things, it's something that I barely ever miss anymore. And mm -hmm. I still check social media about once a month. And again, it was more specific to me because I knew this was something that was affecting my life. And those are some of the strategies that I've come up with. And I and maybe strategies is not the right word because saying something as simple as turn off social media is not really a strategy. It's It feels like a, um, I, I guess, an edict. 
it, it feels like too simplistic of an answer. But the strategy to me is figuring out what the problem is. Often the implementation of 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 the uh, the problem or the answer to that problem is relatively simple. But uh, the, for me, the, the strategy is actually taking the time to figure out this is where my time is going. This is where my effort is going. Am I happy with that? Is it adding more value to my life? We were talking about earlier with the, flipping the paradigm on work life to life work. So the moment that I look at social media and ask myself, is it adding more to my life or is it detracting more from my life? And when I look at it that way, then it made the choice to check social media less frequently, that much more tenable, more achievable. Yeah. So really, it's the intentionality behind it and also critically thinking about what it is that you want to change in order to really enhance quality of life. Because I think about how you said, you know, staying off social media, like it's pretty simplistic. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I need to be off of it more. Like I know I shouldn't be on my phone. It's like, oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. But what is deeper within that? And that's kind of something that I do in coaching too, is really what is a value behind this? Why do you feel that you should be doing this? What's going to be the outcome if you reduce this in the long run too? So I think that's a really good way of breaking it down is what is the deeper meaning and value behind that? Because I, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but you know, I used to take my phone to the bathroom. (laughs) You're not the only one, trust me. <laughs> I'm too ashamed. But I started to really think about that when I, you know, really started to incorporate meditation more regularly. Why am I taking my phone to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't I just go to the bathroom? I'm going to be in there twice as long if I'm on right. my phone and just, it's not sanitary. Right. You know, no judgment to whoever does it because I was guilty of this, but just more of those moments that we can take for ourselves too. Right. You're mentioning, you know, one specific thing, but I really think technology is a huge piece to maintaining some kind of harmonious connection between life and your work. I mean, mm-hmm. at least I've, I've noticed that as well. And I also wanted to mention that we we talk about these ideas of what a strategy is, and we... Uh, and I'm not talking about you and I, we, I'm talking about the collective. We, there's this idea that a strategy means an action where mm-hmm. this is the action that you can take to do something or, oh, I just need to turn off my email. But a strategy is a plan. It's, and how you can't develop a good plan until you take a moment to think about what the situation is. And that's at least how I think about uh, what strategy is. It's a plan of action. And the only way to come up with a good plan is to be aware of the situation. So to me, strategy ultimately is the mind game, which allows you to step away from your life and actually judge or take a look at your life and see what's actually happening so that you can then plan for success. So it's being mindfully aware Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And then it's creating a bigger overarching plan of how you want to approach it mm-hmm. and then break it down into smaller, more doable pieces. Did I capture that? I, I think you captured it much better than I ever could have explained it. So <laughs> just you know, summing it all up because not that this is linear and you just break it down into those three steps, but I think about for the person that is maybe working remotely right now right. and 
are really having a hard time separating work from being in their bedroom, from just being on the computer all day, you know, what it, where could they start? Just one small thing. Where do you think they could begin this journey for themselves? And I know it takes that greater awareness, but like if your friend was asking you for advice, you know, where can I start? This hypothetical person that you were describing, someone who's working from home, someone who's having a hard time differentiating, the boundaries are so blurry. How do you figure out what to do, how to get your life more in balance? And the answer is going to vary, in my opinion, from person to person and from individual circumstance to another individual circumstance. But a way to approach it might be to create false boundaries just to see how you react to them. And the reason that I say false boundaries is because these boundaries don't have to be long-term. These boundaries don't have to be a permanent solution, but these are just boundaries for a day, a two, maybe a week to see what type of reaction you get from yourself, from within you. And by this, I mean, let's say you set up an arbitrary boundary that even though I'm working from home, I'm only going to perform work when I'm sitting in this particular chair and in this particular part of the house or my apartment, or creating up another arbitrary boundary to say that I'm only going to work from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Anything that comes up after that, I'm not going to address. Or anything that comes up before that, I'm not going to address. And everyone's going to have their own limit. Someone's going to say, I'm going to work from 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. or 5 a.m. to 7 p.m., whatever that is. Just creating some sort of a boundary that, that will show you that life has bookends or work has bookends and things that tend to blur into everything else that has a clear beginning and a clear end. As you may have noticed, I chose some arbitrarily long times for work because mm-hmm. I said 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's, that's what, uh, what, a 14-hour workday. And uh, a lot of people are working from the moment that they get up and don't think of it as work because as soon as they get up, they, instead of getting out of bed and doing something, they are reaching for their phone and checking their work emails to see what happened. So even though they're not thinking of it as work, it's still work that they're doing. And even creating a 14-hour boundary for your work and saying that I'm not going to check my email or what have you outside of these conditions will start creating the demarcations for your life and bookends for your life to say that things do have a limit and I need to respect that within myself and I need to respect that within work as well. So Mm -hmm. I think this basic strategy that someone might want to consider is start with creating some random and arbitrary boundary, see what type of reaction you get, and then expand or change things according to the feedback that you get from yourself. So for example, going back to that 14-hour workday, it may even at the end of 7 p.m., when you start to feel anxious because you're not checking your email uh, from 7 p.m. to, let's say, 11 p.m. before you go to bed, that's a signal to yourself. Maybe I have an unhealthy relationship with work, and maybe I should do something about that. What that is to you, I don't know. But at least that recognition will come into place. So that's what Mm -hmm. I would suggest. I like that idea, too, because I think that that's very realistic for some people because it's not a long-term thing. You can for a day or two days and just identifying again, what is the challenge that might be there and what's what's a way to problem solve what you're doing? And then again, yeah. like you said, just noticing yeah. any impact of it, whatever that might look like. And I want to add too, you know, without judgment, because 
a lot of times if we identify something and it's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing it right. like this and I shouldn't have been doing that and I can't believe this, you're kind of causing more right. harm to yourself than helping yourself. But being curious and saying, oh, okay, this is what I've been doing. I notice that I am extremely exhausted because I do check my phone right when I wake up, all these other things. It just can be a more kinder way to relate to yourself to those different situations. Exactly. And I think that also hits upon a very important point, which is when you're recognizing these things in yourself, it's important to recognize them without judgment because the moment you start judging yourself is the moment that you are starting to place boundaries around yourself. And you're right. starting to say that this is how I have defined myself. This is who I am. Maybe I like this. Maybe I don't like this about myself. And all this judgment enters into your decision-making capability. And the decisions that you end up making then end up being non-optimized for your life because you're making them out of some negative stimulus, which is typically where that judgment comes in. And when you're making decisions out of a negative stimulus, they're not usually the most healthy decisions that we can make for ourselves. So start small. Start small. Exactly. <laughs> for the longest time, I was sleeping in a separate room from my phone. So I had my phone in a different room. Mm -hmm. And then recently, I've been using it as an alarm just because I've been sleeping a lot more mm -hmm. <laughs> than usual. But um, I'm noticing a difference there because there is that tendency that I used to have to reach for it. Yeah. And so even just thinking about the placement of where your technology is. Yeah. So for example, tonight, I'm going to, I'm going to put my phone in another room because I really don't need it. Right. And it gives me that space to wake up and then eventually I'll grab it to use it for a meditation or whatever it might be, but just creating even just a little bit of space. Right. The moment that you start creating that space for yourself, you'll see how your body is reacting, how you're reacting. And if it's a good thing for you and you want to continue to do with that, then it's easy enough to build on. But if you realize that, hey, you're already living a great life and everything was already in balance and this arbitrary boundaries don't make a difference in your life, then that's something that you've realized about yourself as well, that you're a well-balanced human being and you don't need anything else at the moment. So. Yeah, I mean, what a great realization. Right? <laughs> My best life. <laughs> exactly. I'm awesome. <laughs> we all want to get there. Yes. <laughs> well, I do want to say thank you so much again for being here and just sharing your wisdom. You have so much of it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. And I am so happy that uh, we finally got to do this. Yes, me too. And I wanted to mention again that his email. We'll have that available because he really is a great mentor. Again, he's an independent consultant too. And there's that investment fund. If you're ever someone that has a brilliant idea to help really connect us all together and whatever is greater for our common humanity too, please reach out. Definitely. All right. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you again. Thanks, Kara. To find out more resources from King, you can reach him at his website, which is www.nkzed.com. Thank you so much for listening today, and I invite you to subscribe and share the Tuning In From Within podcast show with friends and family. And feel free to follow my Instagram page at Tuning In From Within, as well as checking out our website, tuninginfromwithin.com where you can find relevant articles, other podcast episodes, and so much more.